Peter. Yes, Aaron. Moran. Armstrong. Get ready to start Trek. I'm ready to conclude Trek. After this movie, I am done. Done. We're concluded. <laughs> I can't believe that there's a good one after this. I can't believe that there's any light after this darkness. There is. There is light after this. This tunnel. Yeah. We're. Uh, so what are? What is this? Uh, this is a spinoff of We Love to Watch, starring the same cast. Typically, when you see like a spinoff, like when you go to all those Happy Days spinoffs, you know they take like a guy, like Chachi. Or I'm not sure if Joni... Was Joni also from Happy Days? Were they both? I'm unclear. I've never watched any of those shows. Because um, they seem bad. Even, yeah. when, even when I was a kid, they didn't seem good. Maybe they're good. No one, no one talks about, hey, is anyone... Like, I see people posting about fucking Matlock and, um, and uh, you know, fucking... What's what's that Bruce Willis show? Moonlighting all Moonlighting, the time. Yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, we're I'm watching Taxi. Like, great, great. All those things I've seen parts of them. They seem good. No one's ever like uh, got the Jody loves Chachi Apple <laughs> collection. I'm watching it them all. But help. anyways, it doesn't help that there was just an era where they were like, you know what, the show's ending. You know what's a lot cheaper than seven expensive contracts? Yeah. One expensive contract. I mean, they, I, like, I'm not quite sure where all the, like, there's so many things that are spinoffs that I probably, like, could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure, like, like, the Jeffersons was just like, hey, you know that family that came over that, that, in All in the Family, where that guy was racist towards? Let's give them a show. More or less. <laughs> A whole show, I think. Um, But anyways, yeah, it's rare. Most spinoffs, they take a member of the cast and spin it off with, like, a new set of characters. What we've done, which I think is really modernizing the spinoff format, is keep the exact same cast Mm -hmm. of characters in a new situation while the other show is still going. So, I mean, it's... I think it's brilliant. We haven't won any awards yet, but... I mean, like It's it's convenient that we think it's brilliant, though. As the producers slash actors. I mean, you have to be convinced of your own brilliance to take these kind of artistic risks, and I think that is pretty clear. But anyways, uh, what? yeah, so we're, We Love to Watch is a movie podcast hosted by the same two people here where we watch movies and we talk about them. We're doing something a little different here. We're watching a different set of movies, and we're talking about them over a five-year time span. Our five-year mission is almost complete, though. We're doing the Abrams Star Trek. These This podcast started because I, Aaron Armstrong... Was a lifelong fan of Star Trek. Peter had only seen two Star Trek related properties. And over the last five years, occasionally, he's been inundated with Star Trek. We got through the original series uh, movies. We got through a few episodes of the original series. Tons of Next Generation episodes. All the Next Generation movies. And now we're in the Abrams era. We're coming full circle to the two movies that Peter had seen before. 
Star Trek 2009, directed by one J.J. Abrams. Um, stands for Jerk Jerk. <laughs> He's a double <laughs> jerk. Um, Finally, and- we become a we become a, a, a nerd podcast that's yeah. uh, angry at J.J. Abrams. His name's Jerk Jerk. Um, and Star Trek Into Darkness, which is, I think, uh, you had said that the first Star Trek movie, the 2009 one, you were like, oh, that's good. I've never seen anything Star Trek, but I enjoyed that. Uh, and then you watch this, and you're like, "I'm done with Star Trek forever." Until I talked you into <laughs> all of all of this. Uh, I uh, I also did not like this movie when it came out. I feel like I was excited in the moment to moment seeing it. Uh, I saw it opening weekend. I saw it on the big screen. I was super excited because I really loved the 2009 one. And I think I feel like in the moment to moment, especially in the first half of the movie, I was pretty into it. A lot of doubt started creeping up. In the middle-ish, I think. And by the end, when Spock is screaming unconvincingly, God! Uh, I remember walking out of that theater and being like, was that a huge piece of shit? Like, I think that might have been a big piece of shit. And just got angrier and angrier as I drove home. So I've never, I haven't seen it since then, since 2013, which you said was probably when you saw it as well. Um, I think if you haven't listened to last week's episode and for some reason are starting here, I would actually start that because we're not going to... We may repeat some things, but we we kind of talk about J.J. Abrams' approach to these movies, even more than the actual plot of that movie. Uh, I think the first hour and a half is us talking about, like, conceptually what he's doing and why it really doesn't work as a Star Trek movie. It is, it is someone studying the cliff notes of what makes Star Trek good and just including as many references. It's kind of the family guy of Star Trek movies, like... None of these things mean anything, but hopefully people enjoy that around a sometimes uh, exciting space adventure around a very good cast. This one takes a very sharp turn. Uh, I guess not that sharp of a turn, but it takes a turn in that it becomes almost only reference. And it's yeah. like we created a huge big tapestry for us that we can do anything. We've rewritten the timeline Everything you know is on the table to change things. And the first thing they do is, we should do a shitty remake of Wrath of Khan. Just basically do that movie and earn nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and then just do the, that whole movie again. Which was, in fairness, the criticism at the time, too. Like, you can do anything and you do a shitty version of the best Star Trek movie. Like, what a waste of time for everyone. What I'm really interested beyond, we'll talk some about the plot, and th- this will turn into a, um, this will turn into a little bit of a like. Here's why all this stuff is stupid as we talk about it, and as we talked about last week, that's not to turn into cinema sins. This movie is almost forcing you, without a theme, without a point, without a perspective, to contend with its plot that is almost wholly derived from other movies or other plot points, and so. This isn't like us going, oh, I can't believe when Batman went into the tunnel, he came out, uh, you know, at dark, which is an artistic choice that fundamentally doesn't matter to what the movie's doing. This it this is all just, and this happens because we know that you'd like this. And so it is going to be talking about a lot of that. But Peter, I really want to hear, you didn't like this movie when it came out, which I'm actually surprised of and a little bit, only because... One of the things I noticed when I was going through letterbox reviews of some critics that we follow and like that had reviewed this at the time, Letterbox was in its infancy, and, and I, I noticed a lot of people that we, I guess, sometimes like, sometimes contend with, 
that were kind of like, hey, I don't like Star Trek. This is probably the first Star Trek movie for non-Star Trek fans in that everyone I know that was a Star Trek fan was angry. And I thought, okay, it's not it's a fine space adventure because nothing meant anything to me. Like, I didn't know who Khan was. I didn't know. Uh, you I still didn't know, don't at the end of this movie. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know what any of these moments were. And so it's not like this got four or five stars from those people. But I feel like this the, the people who didn't know anything about Star Trek and had only seen the previous J.J. Abrams one that was critic the critics anyways – Gave this a pass. Like, even Mike D'Angelo, who hates movies, said, I don't know anything about Star Trek, and I this is three and a half stars. Like, he never gives anything three and a half stars. So, I'm interested that, like, I know why I hate this movie. Peter, why did you dislike it then? And, obviously, I think we'll probably share similar reasons why we dislike it now. Yeah. <clears throat> My theory on this movie is actually kind of an extension of the last movie, which is that, like, they're both kind of, even though I have still somewhat positive feelings about 2000, the 2009 Star Trek reboot, it's it's a fun mm-hmm. enough movie. I have, you know, some pretty serious, like, structural problems with it and tone problems with it. But um, my problem with that is the starting problem here, which is that it's fundamentally for no one. Yeah. It's it's a movie that if you, that is just, just wall-to-wall references that are treated as, like, sh- like almost shocks. Like, oh my god, they did the triples! Oh my god, they they just fl- they just did the Spock death thing, but to Kirk. Oh my god, it's Khan. Like, they're using them as it, the, the, these moments in a way that they think will please fans, but is actually, like, done in such a hollow and empty way that it actually is designed to make fans angry. But if you don't understand any of these references, the joke about this movie, the meme joke about this movie that's absolutely correct, is um, if Khan doesn't really exist in this universe... If Khan, or, you know, Kirk doesn't know who Khan was in this universe, let's say, more accurately, then, uh, (laughs) which I think the timeline is like a hundred years, right? It's not like Khan was a thousand years earlier, right? It's like... Uh, He was in the 90s. So like two, two, three hundred years. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Two hundred years. Yeah, okay. So not, but not like, it's not like he had never heard of like... I don't know, Hannibal the Conqueror, right? Um, like, it's, yeah. it's, it's someone from the reason. I mean, past. so if you don't know, really quickly, in the, so, uh, Khan Nooning Sung in Star Trek 60s television, he's played by Ricardo Montalban, and he is essentially them attempting in the 60s to be like, to create a new Hitler. Like, that's not even, or a new, um, uh, a new like Attila the Hun, like or Stalin, or but, someone who but was he like specifically came up in like a eugenics war over so superior he, races and wiping out specific. Yeah, people, so honestly. the the Hitler stuff is very apt in that, like in in the Star Trek canon in the nineties, there was something called the eugenics war. That was the Hitler of that was Khan, who yeah was both genetically modifying human beings to be like uber supermen and make them you know, smarter and stronger, which is obviously something that both Khan from the original timeline and and this timeline has in common. Um, But also like jet, like wiping out millions upon millions of people. So um, when they stumble upon him in the original series episode, it's been a while since I've seen Space Seed. I think, I think people do are like, oh my God, that's Khan. And I think they do like a fill in for the audience. Like someone's like, 
I don't know who that is. And they're like, he's a mass murderer who killed millions in, in the eugenics war of the 90, 1990s before, you know, escaping with some of his um, generals and leadership council into this this ship called the Botany Bay. So, like, yes, the theoretically, just from a historical standpoint, like, my joke with you in text is, like, sure, like, you don't have a personal vendetta with this person anymore, which was the whole point of Wrath of Khan, uh, because of the events of a previous, you know, event where they ran into each other. But if you still were like, hey, oh, yeah, my name's not John Harris, it's Adolf Hitler. <laughs> you might know who that is. <laughs> yeah, but if the if the... If okay, so let's say theoretically, Chris Pine is just like, "Yep, teaming up with Space Hitler." Yeah, theoretically, whatever we take that as a given. If you're not a fan, the way I came in, I was like, "He might as well have come in and been like, I'm not John Harrison. I'm Blonde Blarison.' Like it mean it meant nothing it, it meant to nothing. me. Yeah. It meant nothing to me as an outsider. But it's supposed yeah. to be this sort of imparted imparted uh, wisdom. And then the movie proceeds to draw absolutely no characterization for Khan. He yep. is there's there's like one or two throwaway lines about him being genetically superior and and then him having some sort of genetically superior group of people with him. His blood heal it uh, brings people back from the dead. Yeah, yeah. That's how um, genetically superior his blood is. It's yeah. magic. And uh yeah, is <laughs> somebody check out this dude's white plate cell yeah, uh, account. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, you have quite a lot of autoimmune deficiencies. In <laughs> yeah. It's like Mr. Burns having all the diseases, keeping him. They perfectly can't get through balance. the door. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so when I was watching this as a non-fan, I remember laughing at that moment, being like, "I don't know who the fuck that is," because the movie well, just the movie just moves on and takes it for granted. And then I'm like, you know what? That's fine. I'm not a fan, so I will figure it out. As the movie explains it to me, and then the movie proceeds to not do any characterization of him. Yeah. And then as the movie goes... Barely like, explain tr- it. They, they just don't. They're just like... They, Spock they, at one point is just... They they talk to old alternate universe now Spock, and he's like, that guy was, was a bad dude. Yes. Most they, dangerous dude we ever... Did you beat him? Yep. <laughs> like, okay, so in the original, the original characterization of him on the show... Now, now, now. Uh, we'll come back to why I hated it. What yeah. my first glance in the moment. They had him um, characterized as like a charmer who was trying to be like a populist, who was trying to like yep. draw people in and convert people on the ship to his cause. And there's even like a weird which he does successfully, they, right? He, yeah, is, he takes his wife from the Enterprise crew. He also kind of because people recognize who he is, like denotes that that kind of like as a populist is like an accident of history. Like I lost the war and they wrote bad things about me, but I I am a you know, and he sees himself that way. That's that's what's so important I think about Khan. Khan doesn't see himself as a villain who will just kill people for no reason in the original show. He does not like I'm going to destroy everyone in the way that this Khan the second he gets revealed is like I'm going to fucking kill every person on this enterprise. He He's not a madman. He's not a lunatic. He is someone who sees himself as a savior of humankind. And if you see yourself as the savior of humankind, he's trying to bring people into his group and theoretically then make them genetically engineered and change yeah. their genes to make them like, like he's looking for converts. And so that's why like space seeds such a good episode because 
you know, when Kirk realizes what he's doing, he does, you know, he does, um, he does eventually like put, he traps Kirk in something. I forget what, while he continues to try to get the rest of the crew to join him. But yeah, he's a, he's a populist dictator. Like, and, he is, and that's what makes it interesting as a villain yeah. is that he's someone from the past who's using a particular past type of barbarism that this idyllic, this idyllic utopian future doesn't really have the antidote for, or doesn't have yeah. the antibodies for, for fighting him. Yeah. And ultimately they defeat him by using his populism against him when no one else will join his ranks. When Kirk finally faces him at his own game, they defeat him yeah. that way. And it's like, it was a message about fascism. And then when they make him in the movie, they continue the thread of this being a, a, a fascist man out for vengeance. And he's a symbol well, of Kirk's past coming back to haunt him. And there's these complex... In, in the same way Carol Marcus and his son and yeah. everyone else is too, right? Like, and it's this it's about It's about theming. growing old and recognizing with... Yeah, 100%. Like, Wrath of Khan's so fucking good because it's about, like, someone growing old and then also all these, pa- these, these, these sins of his youth. Like, letting the dictator go and say, here's a planet for you. And not thinking through the ramifications of letting, you know, space Hitler... <laughs> Go and like you know start building a new society on another planet, but also the Khan in uh, in Wrath of Khan is allowed to be singular focused and kind of that lunatic who wants to kill one person specifically because he, in his uh, in his error of like not making sure the system and the planet was stable, mm-hmm. he it resulted in the death of of Khan's wife and also. They had said, we'll come and check on you and keep tabs on you so you're not alone out here. And then he never he never followed through on that promise. Yeah. So, like, him tr- – that that conversion from populist dictator looking for converts to single-minded man-man obsessed with killing this person, even though it's just one episode in a movie, it has a very clear arc of how he got there, which, of course, literally – like situationally, none of that applies to the con in this movie because yeah. none of those things happen. And uh, the con in the movie, so I, I you know, I, there's some things in here that aren't I can't really hold against the movie, but I also absolutely can hold against the movie. Like yeah. I, for one, I've been vocal on the show. I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch as a performer. Yeah. I literally like him in Power of the Dog, and that's it. I think he's well. Great. And you, you had some good thoughts about that. The reason he's good in Power of the Dog is because he's such a bad uncharismatic actor yes i think yeah yeah i think that it's similar to how certain people in starship troopers like 100 (laughs) percent, like they're using their inherent stiffness or theatricality as an actor to put them kind of in on the bit they're using their inherent limitations as an actor as a strength of the movie and i think that power of the dog really highlights like what happens when you have these like british hoity-toity actors that actually don't have there's not a whole lot there like eddie redmayne um which i actually think eddie redmayne's a better actor than than benedict cumberbatch but um the the, the eddie and redmayne i, I, thing, I like, like like i like that second doctor strange movie but you and i are on the same page that this guy like i went and double checked and looked he I cannot think of a less compelling, like, actor in these major... I don't understand it. Like, he just isn't... He's not a good actor. He's not interesting. He is so boring and bland. And I'm sorry if you like, 
you know, Nickelback Bandersnatch. Or he is the funniest person because you can put any like same syllable words and everyone knows who you're talking about under any <laughs> under any circumstances. But like, it's also like just a sin to like the whole part about like snapback Ricard- wallet man. Yeah, the the whole thing about Ricardo Montalban though is like he's this huge theatrical like intense actor and to put the blandest man in show business who's like doing his unaccent that is like worse british as opposed to like ricardo montalban and like trying to deliver these uh, it's it is like like i I don't like he's not bad as dr strange dr strange a boring is a boring character and he does a bad job He, he does a fine job being a boring character um, yeah, he does. A, he does a really shitty impression of Robert Downey Jr. And that, yeah, that's basically it, right? He is, regardless of what you he's think. Like, what if him, I was smug but not charming? <laughs> I know that's exactly what it is. What if I had all the smugness, none of the charm? But he is legitimately bad in this movie. He is like he's miscast. His line deliveries are horrible. I sent you a picture before he starts brushing his hair back when he gets captured. He has like. Uh, no one can Christine's. see it, but he basically has your hair right now. It goes <laughs> over his, go, like, can go over his face in like this intense eye makeup. He looks like Chris Gaines, which is such a perfect metaphor of like. He might as well have said, "I'm Garth Brooks." Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not actually Chris Gaines. I'm Garth Brooks because, and everyone in the audience, which we'll get to in a second, was like, "Yeah, we know." Yeah, but this is the worst secret ever. <laughs> I okay, so. Fundamentally, but fundamentally, uh, I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch as an actor. I don't like, I'll definitely talk more about how he looks like a actor. Looking at his face for too long reminds me of looking at an open AI version of like, what if Wes Anderson made Star Wars? There's something inherently. He, like, he looks like he looks like he looks like a, a tube man. <laughs> I don't know how like, to No, he looks like a gray alien who's disguised himself as human. He does. I honestly, if he was like, I was conducting a test to see if an alien could make it in Hollywood, yeah. I'd be like, actually, you know what? I kind of like you now. Yeah, yeah. You did a great. You actually did a really great job, given your constraints. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not being from here. Oh, yeah. Um. But, uh, no, he's just British. They're just like that. Um, and so, okay, so I, I, fundamentally the movie is not only anchored, but, like, to be a little generous with him, they did hollow out the Khan character, and they turn it into a thing where Khan doesn't reveal himself as full Khan until uh, 90 minutes into a two-hour and 15-minute movie or so. It's like so, an hour and 15 minutes, yeah. But, but he doesn't, but, like, the Khan moment happens. Oh, the Khan moment a, and, where he's, like... Where where Spock is like he's dangerous, and so they and so Pike uh, or say not Pike uh, Kirk's like, hey, when we get to the bridge, shoot him. Yeah, and then he's like, you shot me. Yeah, mask off, moment. baby. Yeah, that moment. At, yeah. That is when you get what is actually good about Wrath of Khan, which is like the the tete a tete moment, and you get it for two seconds. There's one trick that Spock pulls with the torpedoes. Other than that, they basically condense everything that's cool about Wrath of Khan into one trick. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie is this muddle of, of of mixed allegiances and confusing motivations and refusing to actually give characters space to, like, grow because they don't have time or, or patience for it. And what you end up getting with Khan in this is a guy who they're like, hold on, I know he's really strong, but also, what if he was mean? Like, that's... 
it. Yeah, that is that is it. And this is the movie where really like we talked a little bit of I I don't remember if we talked in the episode or over text because they're kind of blurring together now. But I mentioned it was like I think like this is the point kind of when the the J.J. Abrams bad robot take on the Star Star Trek. We talked about Um, it last week. Yeah, but the 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 emperor has no clothes moment where you're like, well, okay, the emperor. I think I can't totally see him. Maybe he has some socks on. Maybe he has a cool scarf on or something. And, and maybe then, he's like he's like the red hot chili peppers and put a sock on his big old dick. <laughs> he's he's fleeing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he and then finally, this is the I movie where like JJ Abrams has a big dick. I <laughs> This is the movie where like all the the fluorescent lights come on and you can see like he is he has not even been afforded a sock. Um like yeah, the emperor truly has no clothes. They had no reason to make these movies. They they clearly have like they don't really have much love for the the subject material. They have no substantive way to flip the formula on their head. And the thing that makes me so mad about this is I actually feel like they got close to something here. I do. actually feel like they got something close, which is what if Khan tr- tried to militarize Starfleet yeah. and turn them into a thing? But then Khan and Peter Weller get together and he's like immediately like, I hate you for some reason. And and Peter Weller's also like, I'm going to kill the guy that's been helping me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peter Weller's like, actually, you know what? I spent a lot of time on these military plans. I'm not yeah. only going to kill the guy that's been helping me. I'm going to kill all the other guys that could possibly help me out of plot convenience. So out of the fact so, that we're too far into this movie for there not to be a clear villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's let's. I want to talk about that. I want to come come back to like the people that oh, made the emperor's new clothes man. because I do I do think you're right. I do think that this theory, the idea, like I don't know if it makes a good Star Trek movie, but um, mainly because like the whole point of the first movie, like I told you, is like let's get this crew together and clean and wipe the c- continuity away, clean slate, so we can go have some fun. Instead of having fun, they're like, let's make an, our 9-11 Star Trek movie, which was literally what Kurtzman and Orky wanted to do. But I do think, like, from the concept of Star Trek, and this is actually something that DS9 gets into a lot, this idea that Star, you know, is Star Trek military. You know, they have ranks, they have commanders, they have guns, they have lasers, but technically it's supposed to be this, like, peace mission and explorer part of the Federation, and those are really supposed to be, like, a dis- defensive posture, but so much of, like, the star trek that we've grown up to is kind of them acting like the galaxy's police and so that's that's a theme that good star trek gets into like what what is the federation what is ultimately starfleet and so like the concept of this movie is hey there was this incursion by this this ship with immense power from the future that wiped out 40 of their ships like we're not prepared in the same way, like war and terror, war and terror stuff, we're not prepared for what's out there, and so we need to start militarizing more formally the uh, Starfleet and make it not an exploring mission, not a group of people that are there to work with the Federation, explore the galaxy, but speci- specifically like take a defensive position and like what that does to 
Like that's that's a like if you're going, hey, it's an alternate timeline. This mission of peace is actually going to halt pretty quickly because they meet a threat and they start militarizing. Like that's a theme. That is something interesting. That is like something new that that didn't happen. And also, so Section Thirty One is not invented in this movie. Section Thirty One. Um, which is featured in stuff like Star Trek Discovery and Enterprise takes its start from um, takes its start from uh, Deep Deep Space Nine, which handled all of these types of themes, the militarization piece, like better than anything else. But it starts in in uh, Deep Space Nine as this thing that first says it's not part of Starfleet. It's like this other intelligence group that works on you know in the Federation called Section Thirty One. Only for eventually, over a few seasons, it to be revealed that Section Thirty One is actually like the fucking CIA of Starfleet that does all these things with plausible deniability, while it keeps this kind of like message of a peacekeeping force and out to explore the galaxy. But like, you know, there's been this shade, shadowy group within Starfleet that's responsible for like doing all this shitty stuff that's antithetical to the Federation and Starfleet's values, which is. Again, a very interesting theme, and Deep Space Nine, unsurprisingly, does it extremely well. I know it's heavily featured in Enterprise. My guess is, based on Enterprise's um, Enterprise's reputation, it's not done as well as the best Star Trek show. Um, it's done okay in, in Discovery, um, uh, some of the Section 31 stuff as well. So they didn't, they didn't come up with the concept of Section 31, but using it as like an expansion of that shadowy organization that exists within Starfleet to protect them is an interesting theme. And then they botch it completely by going like, forget about that. We got this con character that everyone wants, everyone wants to see, which gets back to your other point, which is, I do think this is the movie. So we talked about that last week, JJ Abrams theoretically had this like concept of like this. He, He almost was a better producer and a marketer than he was a, director which i think is literally true he knew how to get people excited about stuff whether it was the cloverfield field trailer the the central mystery of lost um and all these things of like i'm not gonna reveal like the first super eight trailers people were obsessing over trying to figure out like what this stuff was and obviously he has this normal cast of characters orky kurtzman lindelof that kind of all you know wrapped themselves around this concept of the mystery box where you go see the movie and it becomes a surprise and you're so excited. He literally was trying to make film goers and art as like a kid on Christmas morning with a toy with some, you know, not a form of art, but consumerism. I, there's this package under the tree that I've been wanting to shake for so long. And then I finally get it and I see it. And sometimes with those, you're excited. And sometimes you go, Oh, the thing I thought was a Nintendo was like 30 socks in a bulk <laughs> box. And this was 30 socks. Like, the problem was is that everyone knew immediately that the main villain played by ben, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was not a guy named John. It's like the, John Harris that no one cared about. And so, like, in the, the, the part that rightly gets so much criticism about that reveal in the middle of the movie, it's Khan is because it is not to anyone in the movie. Kirk and Spock, whether they should have known who he was just based on history, don't in this movie. They have no idea what that means. They don't know until future Spock educates them later on. 
None of the characters have ever interacted with this person. They didn't read a, you know, Uhuro didn't find a mission log of like, hey, there's this group of fucking super soldiers that they found a year ago and I intercepted this this thing. Like, there's nothing. That slow down, big reveal halfway through the movie where he's like, it's Khan is for an audience only. For the audience to go, oh, it's gone from the other things that I knew. It's the only point because everyone in that movie, in the characters in the movie, have no don't react at all. They're just like, okay, you have a different name, which you did not knowing anything about Khan either. And like, and like that is the the low point I think of that mystery filmmaking. Like, you made a movie where the big twist in halfway through that sets this up is not directed to any characters in the movie, but an audience that was 9 million steps ahead of you on this. And instead of, instead of getting your big moment where you're like, holy shit, con, everyone goes, yeah, no shit. You lied to us for a very long time about this. And this is stupid. Like, yeah. And so that, that is like when you like, he, he had some recovery with the force awakens and then people saw rise of Skywalker. were like, Oh no, I remember into darkness. Now fool me twice. And all those sort of things. But, like, this – I think this was the death of kind of J.J. Abrams as, like, this genius filmmaker who was, like, twisting an audience. It was like, yeah, we we all knew exactly what this was the whole time. We were all annoyed about it. You kept insisting over and over. Like – and you contrast that with, like, one of the things that I always find very funny about The Last Jedi. Because, remember, this is – J.J. Abrams did the mystery box stuff with, with, with um, The Force Awakens, too. Like – is Luke going to be in it? I don't know. Like, all these things, and everyone's like, everyone knows Luke's in it. Like, he did those things, and then Last Jedi came out, and everyone's like, who is the Last Jedi? Like, the press tried to do the, are we doing the J.J. Abrams Mysteries thing? And I still remember that Twitter thing where, like, there was a big speculation abounds as to who will be revealed as the Last Jedi, and Ryan Johnson on Twitter just replied to that thread saying, it's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Which is like, again, which is like, you know, if it was a J.J. Abrams production that like, who is this? And that was the thing about Rise. Then he goes into Rise of Skywalker. He does the who thing. Who's the Skywalker that's rising in this? Is so-and-so going to be revealed to be a Skywalker? And then the big twist is the Rise of Skywalker. She's like, I will not be called Palpatine. I'm going to be a Skywalker. Adopted fam. Like, it's like, that's the, that was your big mystery about the rise of Skywalker. And it's like, you contrast that with, if he had made the last Jedi, the whole movie would have been like, who is the last Jedi? And Ryan Johnson's like, I actually made a movie with a theme. And that title, (laughs) that title, the last Jedi relates to the concept of this theme about the only one truly left from this old time that is, fondly remembered but has really bad results organically and so like i don't i don't need to do a mystery box like it's luke skywalker's the last yeah it's 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 um it's like an an adult man having a conversation with you where he's like and it is very funny that people felt like ryan johnson tricked them at any point with the last jedi because it was like he was like no i'm making a movie reacting to the entire star wars legacy because we need to do that right now yeah and I told you this wasn't a mystery box. Yeah. I told you this is going to be the middle part of an adventure and things are going to get, you know, a little grim. Yeah, like Empire Strikes Back, I want to shake things up before the finale. Yeah, you're not going to get exactly what you want because that's not how second acts work. Yeah. Um, we're in an interesting place where, like, I both agree with the meme complaint that Khan is, like, a... That's why we're talking about it up front. 
it is sort of a, a central, like, weak point of the movie that kind of explains everything else about the movie, right? But every YouTube channel talking about how Star Trek yeah. Into Darkness, every podcast that talks about what Star Trek Into Darkness, they all talk about the con thing. And I, I'm going to argue here that the Tribbles thing, where they bring him back to death, is as bad, if not worse, than the con thing. Because at least the con thing is like... Oh, I- Oh, I, I guess, I guess that, I guess, you know, the villain isn't much of a villain, but, you know, we still have this cast of characters, you know, I, you know, sometimes the villains don't matter as much as, like, you know, the action sequences that the villains end up creating or whatever, right? You get to the end, they, they just really hollowly just switch which character does the, the sacrifice. S- say all the same lines. Yes. <laughs> Except backwards. And then they use a, essentially, like, a reference as the object that will save the day. Yeah. And so a character is dead for roughly... They don't even show his resurrection scene. He wakes up in a hospital bed after, like, screaming he's dead and everyone being sad, and they're like, you were only kind of dead. Like, they don't even do, like, to get the blood. They don't make any drama or excitement about whether he's going to come back. He's back five minutes later. It is, like... And and it's not even that there's an entire fight sequence in between Kirk's death. There is... The fight is essentially over, and Ahura get some of his blood. Just, and Ahura is just shooting Khan with a yeah. phaser, and he is for some reason able to resist like twenty phaser shots to the point where it loses all, st- all dramatic value. It's like it's it's like how early in the movie, or, uh, movie uh, Kirk is trying to beat up Khan and he can't. And the first yeah. two punches, you're kind of like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then by punch number seven, you're like, this is so fucking stupid. This is well, this that, is how, ch- this is how a children or, a child would write a story. Or like Hura literally shoots him fifteen times with a phaser on yes. stun and gets like he's like, I'm I'm actually fine. Even though I was stunned earlier, even if it was a, for a short amount of time, now I'm shaking them all off because of my genetic uh, g- genetic. But that's superiority. the point. Three or four punches or three or four stuns, you know, that he's able to resist. Some Somewhere in the range, like, oh, he can take yeah. two stuns even would be, like, pretty shocking. But when they're, like, 15, they shoot him, like, 15 times. I he know. gets punched 15 It ends up becoming the joke in Snatch where that, I think it's the <laughs> Russian guy won't die. Like, it turns into this rake gag eventually yeah. just, it, just in Speed It Up where you're like, oh, this, this is supposed to be dramatic, dramatically compelling. You're supposed to be dramatically compelling, but instead it's funny because you just did it, like, 20 times. Well, also, like, it's on such a small surface area that, like, Ohura is, like, unextending her arms close to her face so she doesn't accidentally hit someone with the weapon and just, like, pow, 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 pow. Like, it's so so stupid. I actually think you're right. The con moment gets a lot of criticism. We're not going to pass it over. I actually think that's the pivot point where the movie becomes a brainless, fun with maybe some themes that are going to get interesting adventure and just like fucking craters over and over. I actually rewatching this with a little bit understanding of where it went. I remember why I thought for the you know first half of this movie in theaters like this is great because like there is a lot of stuff uh, even if it's stupid about like you're not the captain anymore. Okay, you're the captain and there's a lot of stupid stuff like that that happens and like but I think it's still on par with the first movie. Stuff's happening. It's exciting. It looks good. The actors are fun. You know, things are happening. And that con point, like, the movie just, like, is, like, we're going to now drill into this. And everything is going to get worse. Minus the cool, clever uh, torpedo scene. 
for yeah. the rest of the movie. We're at the we're at the end. I remember seeing it in theaters. My theater laughed when Spock yelled Khan. Like, yeah. can you imagine? Like, it, it, literally, people were like, "What? This this is so bad." And I think that is the that is a moment to talk about that's stupid within the movie. That twist, and then really just saying, "Let's only focus on this part of the twist now, and really make the wrath of Khan for the last hour, and give him a reason to be wrathful and everything else," is like just a stone that sinks faster than ever in the bottom of the ocean of like just the overall enjoyability of this movie. I want to talk a little more about that. I want to really quickly. So this movie, while it got initially good reviews by its second weekend, the box office cratered and even people that had written positive reviews were like, okay, wait, does this suck? It was a little bit of one of those movies where people were like, that was exciting and dumb and fun. And like I said, I when I saw it in theaters, I think I was like, okay, probably three and a half stars. And by the time I got home, I was like one star. Like yeah. the drive home. I, I really like Damon Lindelof. I don't like J.J. Abrams. I don't think like anymore, period. And I definitely don't like Orky and Kurtzman. And I was saying I read that book, The, the 50-Year Mission. And they talk, you know, there's a chapter on Into Darkness. And the thing that was so infuriating about that, and I didn't, I didn't, I read that book about six months ago, so I didn't like take down all the specific quotes. But I'm not saying that like people are protective of their art and people are defensive about things that they don't like and everything else. So I get that like not every filmmaker who makes a shitty movie needs to like go and repent. say, I'm repent or agree that they made a shitty like it's always nice when someone has some introspection and self-awareness and i feel like if jj abrams and some of these bozos had that they could be making better movies but okay i'm not i'm not asking that the part that like legitimately infuriated me was they blamed fans for all the decisions that they made and then blamed fans for not liking them they acted like both orky and kurtzman um, and again, it's a, it's a, the whole book is really great. The whole two book series is really great to read. This is a very infuriating part. They act like that if they wouldn't have included Khan in the movie, audiences would be asking, where's Khan? Like, of course we need to include him. They almost act like they didn't really want to, but Star Trek fans would have, where else are you going to go in this franchise? Of course they want to know who they're like, they, they are making a thing where, um, where audiences sort of somewhere made them have to include Khan because if not, everyone would have been angry if they hadn't included him and then kind of blame the audiences for they got a gift horse that they demanded and then because it wasn't as good as what was in their memory, they turned on the movie. And like that's the specific sort of introspection that is infuriating where – you can go, I think we made a good movie. I understand some people don't like it. Or, you know what? Say, hey, people loved it. 86% of Rotten Tomatoes. I know there's some criticism, but here's why I think we did a good job with it or whatever else it is. But that kind of specific of like, I'm blaming you for doing this and then blaming you for wanting it so bad that you turned against it is like, I've told you this before, Peter. It's the reason why I turned against Kevin Smith when I watched his Burn in Hell talk where he just is like, I'm an artist, man, and anyone criticizing me is ridiculous. That that kind of weird thing of just turning this on everyone else, like, they were forced to do 
an impossible task to live up to people. And then because it's an impossible task, they were like, it, it's so no one forced you to include Khan. No one was like, no Star Trek fan would have went and saw this and said, and saw Khan wasn't in it and been like, this is ridiculous. All yeah. Star Trek twos I'm aware of have Khan in them. So why wouldn't this Star Trek two? Like it's so, it's so shitty the way that they, you know, five, six years later, like approached it. And it's just infuriating. Cause it's like, dude, you made a bad movie and you made a bad movie for reasons that you could have done whatever you wanted. You literally, took the Lego set that you put together with all the instructions, you smashed it to bits, and went, we can now make whatever we want with this Lego set. And what you did is, from memory, tried to create the exact same set, but it looks like shit because you don't remember where everything goes, and you don't have the and instructions. you don't remember why they put these base plates underneath, yeah. or, like, why they put all these gears in the middle so a door would open. You, like, didn't think of any of that, but you're like, yeah, but it has to have the antennas. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it needs to be the this. I can't just go really make anything yeah. with it. Like, the idea of, act, again, just acting like they were boxed in with a with a situation that they created for themselves, and then, like, it's something about like you know always killing your masters or um, or uh, you know uh, killing your heroes or something like that. Yeah, it's so goddamn stupid and like it's why Orky and J.J. Abrams didn't say that. That was all Orky and Kurtzman. Um, uh, Lindelof has been a lot more we fucked up with like our depiction of Carol Marcus. He's he he was like this is a real turning point for me, and he's actually gone on to make as we said good stuff, but like. You can see why Orky and Kurtzman have learned nothing from this, because they're like, well, we were right. We did the best we could under the things, and you guys are just being dickheads because you like the other thing better. It's like, well, then yeah. don't make don't make the literal other thing all over again with, like, verbatim line readings. Like, who made you do that? Of course it's going to look – it's going to look shitty. And really quickly, because I sent this to you, and I do think this is, like, the best, like, deconstruction of this. And Nicholas Meyer, who made – uh, who made uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan saw it, and he, he this is actually from that book. Uh, this, this quote was in 2018. He, he says, in my sort of artistic worldview, if you're going to do an homage, you have to add something. You have to put another layer on it, and they didn't. Just by putting the same words in different characters' mouths didn't add up to anything. And if you have someone dying in one scene and sort of being resurrected immediately after, there's no real drama going on. It just becomes a gimmick or gimmicky, and that's what I found it to be ultimately. And, like, that is what it is. It means nothing. It's cheap shock value. It's Yeah, it's just like, hey, you, it literally is family guy. It's, do you remember this? It's back in yeah. pog form. Or I guess that's a Simpson reference, but... Yeah. It's 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 manatees. Yeah, yeah, and, and so using let's talk about Nicholas Meyer just briefly. So yeah. when they were making Wrath of Khan, they had Spock die with no implication that he would come back because of the Genesis device or whatever, and uh, eventually Leonard Nimoy and the producers like Nimoy eventually changed his mind. He's like, I do want to be in future movies. He had so and much, so, he had so much fun doing wrath of Khan. He didn't want to be written out. Completely. Yeah. And then, so the producers went to Nicholas Meyer and were like, we have to put some sort of implication that we can bring Spock back in the future, or even, you know, in a different form. Yeah. And Nicholas Meyer was like, this is, kind of cheapens it, but you know, whatever I'll, I'll do this to make you no turds. Happy. He did. He did not agree to it. 
they they you're you're ninety five percent right. They added it in, and he didn't. He was against it from the entire thing. Yeah. Now later on, when he came back to the franchise, he's like, I like Spock, so I'm glad they did that, so I could keep, you know, writing Spock in the movies. But yeah, you're hundred percent right. They added it against yeah. his against as well. And to take it even a step further back conceptually. I consider it sort of a brave move after the the underperformance of Star Star Trek the Motion Picture. It's kind of a brave move. You've got your budget cut. Wrath of Khan is your chance to save the franchise. Um, I consider it kind of a brave move to double down on the fans and say, actually, our concept is a continuation of an episode that people really like, and we're going to pick up that character, and we're going to tell this story, but writ large, and we're yep. going to actually make it feel cinematic and huge, but it is going to be a movie for the fans. We're not going to try and make, uh, you know, a 2001 for, you yeah. know, uh, uh, you know, respect of everybody. And then, yeah, hey, uh, remake Con- motion picture. Yeah. <laughs> and Con, and I, li- I really like motion picture. It's a, it's a great movie. Um, yeah. but, and contradictorily, like Wrath of Khan ended up being one of the most accessible movies of the entire Star Trek franchise. Like you can actually go into that movie with almost no knowledge about Star Trek and be just fine. Uh, and, and enjoy it as sort of like a um, uh, a, a chess game. I almost said a nemesis, but that that term is kind of soiled in Star Trek lore. But like a, a movie about uh, a hero and an anti-hero, or a hero and the villain, the, the a, a man against his foil. And you could watch it that way. It's just an action movie, and it's great. Um, and it ended up being kind of a brave thing to like take the series in that direction, but still keep it grounded in in, in the fans. Um, using Khan here is just so cowardly. Like, yeah, there's, there's just, I get why when you're doing the reboot movie, you kind of need to play it close to the hand, right? You need to be like, you need to be like, okay, we need to reestablish who these characters are for a new generation. You need to get used to the new performers. And we're going to tell you a story that's not the exact story you've heard before, but you know, it's a big budget action movie spectacle story. You've seen this type of story before. Um, them remaking Wrath of Khan is just such a cowardly move. It's a, it's a yeah. it's a it's an absolutely cowardly move. It is not in any way an inspired uh an an inspired piece of artistic vision. So for them to double down on it instead of being like, we thought it was kind of clever to like you know if you know Wrath of Khan was blah, blah, instead of being like kind of humble about it and be like you know we had a good idea and it didn't work out like any normal person would. These fucking chumps <laughs> decided to, especially for an oral history that will be like printed and shipped out yeah. to fans, to to have no humility about it is yeah. is really sad. Like it's yeah, it's pathetic. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I it was so so. I I listened to those as an audiobook, which was like it's like sixty hours. So it, like I listened to them over six months. I was so annoyed by it. I remember where I was on the highway when I and where I was driving to while I was listening to that section, just because it was like I cannot think of a more pompous assholeist thing that skirts that that recognizes that people don't like it, which you don't have to do. You don't have to have that conversation. It's an oral history. You can say whatever you want. That recognizes that people don't like it and then blames everyone but you who made all the decisions that people don't like like for the decisions that you made and the reaction to those decisions. It's like, yeah, it is. It's, it's pathetic. Pathetic is the right word. Yeah. But yeah, this movie could have been this movie. I will talk about it later, but this movie actually like some of the core concepts, like they actually had opportunities 
to um, take Wrath of Khan as a way to challenge, like, what is Starfleet? And then, like, basically re-explain what the Star Trek concept is to people. That these are not imperialists, they're actually closer to anthropologists, right? Like... These are yeah. not these are not soldiers. They're actually closer to scientists or diplomats, right? Like to kind of, um, but like they are trekking around the galaxy with guns and war yeah. and warships, right? Like yeah, that there was an yeah. opportunity here to interrogate that and sort of take what you're talking about with DS Nine and maybe yeah. do that in a movie and have it be like, what is Starfleet? And at the end of this, Kirk is like ends up being like a moral center, but instead the movie like very much disregards all it, it the the prime directive is essentially like another just like empty empty joke it's a trinket it's it's a it's a little iconographic joke where they're like we have to abide by the prime directive and then we have to abide by the prime directive and then you're like why don't they save spock like just if you're not not familiar with star trek you just be like why would they not just save spock because they have a rule that says you can't do it. Like, they don't yeah. explain what the Prime Directive is. Yeah, and they the don't Prime Directive does afterwards not, either. 100%. The Prime Directive does not come up in the 2009 reboot. So if you... The, the, the thing of, like, Kirk occasionally violating the Prime Directive... This was a complaint in the last movie where they, they boil down Kirk's character to, like, I don't follow the rules, which, as I said, is so laughable for, like, where he ended up in... His station. Yes, the thing about Kirk is that he sometimes never lets what he believes is the moral choice get away with following the rules, but he would have been drummed out of Starfleet years ago if he really just didn't follow the rules. And in this movie, he explicitly says, I just don't like rules. <laughs> like, it's like, that's no, like, the whole thing about Kirk is that sometimes faced with like this rule from this, go you know, this government or this gr governmental group. That is light years away, who made a broad ruling about non-interference that when given the choice between saving someone's life and have someone seeing a spaceship, Picard does this too. It's a constant, you know, do, do you do you follow the letter of the law or do you follow the spirit of the law? Like, all, all, like that's a common trope. Kirk breaks the prime directive a couple times because of some uh, moral choice that he's making. Where and that's you know that's what happens here too. He says the life of his crew member. It's a moral choice that is consistent with Kirk or probably even Picard would sometimes make. They make it where it's like I just don't like rules, like because they don't uh, they don't interrogate what the prime directive means. They're just like it's the most it's a prime directive. It's the most important rule, and you violate the most important rule. And like it's yeah, you're right. Like it's it's taking a reference. They don't explain it. They it's not like a concept that they're introducing and having some sort of morality. It's just, it's actually like that opening scene is a really fun. Abrams, of course, stealing from everyone says that he was inspired by Raiders of the Lost Ark yes. to kind of just it's put you Indiana in a quick Jones adventure. cold open. It's not a Star Trek cold open. Yeah, but it's like, it's fun in a vacuum. The ship's underwater. It opens excitedly. People are yelling at each other. And then instead of just having a, hey, let's at least do 10 minutes of fun space adventure before we like just are like, let's talk about 9-11 in space and space Hitler. They make it about like they make that fun adventure have a ton of un unearned emotional and thematic weight about like Spock almost dying, Spock being angry. It's just it's it's so stupid. They couldn't even have a fun 
opening moment before they weigh down the movie with fucking, like, this is gonna be a bleak, sad one, guys. It's gonna be a real bummer, and no one's gonna, no one's gonna have a good time, but don't worry, nothing, nothing bad ultimately, ultimately yeah. happens. The opening it's, yeah, it's is really frustrating. The opening is really interesting to me because, yes, that's the point you made, absolutely. Kirk does not have any sort of complex understanding or complex explanation for what his ethos is. His ethos is, I do what I want, which, by the way, is the same ethos as, like, Aguirre from Aguirre the Wrath of God. <laughs> like, like I'm actually going to take my ship out that way, and I'm going to do whatever I think I'm supposed to do yeah. based on vibes. Yeah. Um like that's that you're you're specifically trying to not be colonialists out there. Like let's yeah. let's hold your fucking horses. And uh the Indiana Jones and, and opening is really interesting because like there's been a lot of very especially with a new Indiana Jones movie coming out, there's been a lot of very interesting conversations about um how Indiana Jones in referencing 1920s adventure movies was actually like uh picking up uh, a lot of, you know, uh, colonialist, imperialist, and racist yeah. um, concepts about the civilized man versus yeah. savages. And, uh, you know, Lord knows Star Trek picked up on plenty of the stuff in the original series and probably yeah. in Next Gen a little bit, too. In Next Gen, I feel like they had the wisdom a lot of times to make, like, people like white Renfair dorks as opposed to, like, savage tropes. But... I'm sure they also engaged in some stuff that, you know, could be construed as colonialist. It's also I think a show you're from right, 30 but years I, but ago. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right, but I actually, like, and they actually talk about this, that the Prime Directive was literally attempting to distance itself from, like, the reason it was created from a storytelling perspective was this idea of, hey, we don't want Star Trek people to go to all these primitive savage cultures and tell them that God isn't real and everything is stupid that they believe in. Because, like, then we're, like, there there was at least enough awareness about colonialist tropes that, like, the prime director from a storytelling perspective is trying to be, like, we don't want them conquering planets. We don't want to be tell all the, the, the people that are, are stupid. We want to say, hey, they're just not as advanced technologically as us, and we're going to let them get there on their own thing. And then once they had that as a framework for, like, let's not make our main characters colonialist, colonialist assholes, then, of course, you can do what good stereotypes tellers do we created a rule in this universe for practical and purposes and now let's poke at that rule and see where it comes apart you know yeah and so i'm sure they like i there's definitely episodes where they're like you know you guys are backwards people or you know someone said i'm sure there is but it's interesting that that like again that rule was meant specifically to be like let's not turn them all into fucking space racists or you know yeah and it's it's important because they're marching out into the wild frontier yeah. with guns and warships. Um, yeah. I actually hold this opening to much higher standards. I didn't when I watched the first time, but I hold it to much higher standards now that I've seen what Star Trek is about and I know what the Prime Directive is. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, you just made racist, savage stereotypes. And then at the they end it by making a joke about, oh... They love starships. Like they make basically a joke about them. You got in town now. They used to like the, lo- worship the paper, and yeah. now they worship the ship. Also, like like everything in this movie, if you think about it for a second, 
the movie wants to laugh in your face. Like, complaining about plot holes that are this gaping and constant, it feels less like a nitpicker thing and more of just a, like, the movie has so little respect for me that, like, hey, why was the ship that can beam people in the fucking lake? Why couldn't it just be up in space? Or all these other things that would have made more sense for them to be able to beam people away like we've seen in every Star Trek thing ever. And if you think about the movies like, fuck you, it was underwater because it was cool as shit. Like, how dare you think that – like, how dare you put any thought into thinking about the logic of this scene because the cool part is that it comes up and then it's scary because Spock almost dies in lava. You thought – you could just beam them up. Fuck you. It's about water and lava and it looks cool. Like, it, it, it's – that's what's so frustrating. It's not nitpicky. It's like the movie cares so little about you as an audience member. It is it, – if you at any point stop and go, well, wait. Like, this makes no – like, start – and Star Trek is always good about introducing, like, hey, we can't beam because we're in a nebula and the – the sensors and like instead they're just like I don't know they put it in the water so they can't come out of the water because that's where the people are. Why is it in the water in the first place? How did it get down the there? People? But yeah, like, the, I mean, but that general disregard for yeah. that general disregard for like uh, not just like logic because like yeah, there's a million plot holes in this movie and this movie doesn't respect you enough for me to respect it to to really put that kind of thought into it. Um, that's not deep thought. That's not like unpacking a, oh, here's a little area where they messed up or like yeah. they didn't. This is just like, why did any of this happen? Fuck yeah. you. It's cool. It happened because we wrote it in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's why yeah, it exactly. happened. Exactly. The, yeah. the, it's, it's, their gears are crunching together to get you to the thing that they want you to get to. There's no artistry here. This is just, this is just, we're going to put a scene here and we hope that your mind is doing all the heavy lifting to get from scene A to but, scene yeah, B. He's doing the heavy lifting of ignoring every, like, we need your brain to shut off. Because I get it. There's stuff that, like, is more nitpicking annoying. It's still annoying. Like, I hate that Carol Marcus is in Starfleet in this movie. I Because Carol Marcus's whole character in The Wrath of Khan, the only movie we see her in, is that she hates Starfleet. And that her hooking up with Shatner, or sorry, with Kirk, is like a youthful indiscretion having sex with a military man when she's a scientist and she hates those cowboys who pretend to go be explored. Like, she fucking hates Starfleet. So the idea that somehow, if Kirk's dad died, she joins Starfleet because her dad is the lead. And again, like, that sounds nitpicky, but it's just, it's part of the central frustration of like, why is Carol Marcus in this movie? A, they wanted a kind of love interest for Kirk. And guess what? Carol Marcus was in the other con movie. So we can do a dual stupid surprise. We're going to say her name's Carol Wallace. And so everyone's going to be like, oh, this is Carol Wallace. This is a new character they've introduced. And then 20 minutes into that, she's going to be like, my name is Carol Marcus. And at least in this case, it has some resonant to the characters in the movie that it's like some, oh, okay, you're that, you're the Admiral's daughter. I get it. But like, and it has some plot contrivance but again it's like you do a double twist that this isn't carol wallace it's actually carol marcus and the same way this guy's not john harris like you're doing the same shit that's just supposed to go holy shit carol marcus from the last con movie is in this con movie 
But I've, we've also disregarded everything that made her a character in that movie because Kirk's dad died. And so now she joined Starfleet. Like, it sounds nitpicky, but it's just so, like, why, why, just make it someone new. Like, what is the point of this? What is the yeah. point of that being Carol Marcus? I feel like there any time that anytime that I'm like, I, I anytime that I'm like, eh, that's kind of out of character, or you are asking me to overextend myself in this movie, I feel like the movie is punching me in the arm and saying, "Shut up, dude! <laughs> I don't... Just watch the fucking movie." Uh, I'm sorry, uh, she's hot, we're putting in her underwear, and you all know that name that are Star Trek fans, so you're gonna be like, holy shit, Carol Marcus, I know that name. Uh, oh, yeah. Now the, you're, the, now the you're asking if, now you're asking why she's in Starfleet? Fuck you, nerd. <laughs> like, anytime, anytime I have any objection to this movie, whether it's as, like, a piece of script writing, it's a piece of Star Trek lore... It's a piece of social, you know, social commentary at any point. Like, why is Carol Marcus introduced in her underwear? Despite all that, I feel like, yes, a, a gym bro is punching me in the arm. And I, I need, I need to just say this right now, that I hate the costumes in this movie. We haven't talked about costumes in a while. But the new costumes are all made out of, um, like, water wicking gym shirt material. <laughs> yeah. Do you notice this? Yeah, it, it, I mean, I I like, like the like colors. The colors are nice. The colors are nice. I like I like that they brought out like the vibrant gold again. They yeah. weren't doing the dull colors anymore, the pastels. But yeah. it brought it unlocked something for me where I was like, oh, this is like a movie written by nerds for bros who yeah. also will hate this movie. <laughs> like this is a movie that is written specifically for an audience that doesn't exist. So I actually, I, I'm going to take your theme and I think we've unlocked it. I think it's written by bros who are broing out and doing bro shit and love Star Trek, but learn to grow embarrassed about Star Trek. Yes. And so like they have almost like a defensive shield about like, oh yeah, we're going to do Star Trek, but it's going to be like cool Star Trek. Not like that shit that everyone made. Like we're going to finally make it so that people can't make fun of the new versions of us. Like that – Again, that is that is speculation, but that is, you're right. Like that's what it feels like. They they made a Star Trek movie for people to like that wouldn't get bullied like they got bullied for liking Star Trek. Like, and so it becomes this like it's. I mean, it is infuriating that they like the thing about Ron Moore, probably the the best writer of of uh, singles. Like, if you just said who has like the the most best episodes, I would definitely put it under Ronald Moore. Who also went on to continue to show his chops and stuff like Battlestar Galactica and uh, what's what's that show that he has now on Apple TV? From it's not from there to the moon. Um, For all mankind. Yes, um, like the I watched the first season and it seems really, but like he definitely has like extended chops that go on well beyond, and he he's so good in that in that. Um, in that oral history, like every time he's talking, he has interesting things to say. But that he was a lifelong Star Trek fan who kind of like nerded his way into the writing group. But like his love of Star Trek and understanding all the tropes is around like, hey, I've been watching. Like his first episode is about like, what if a kid dies and then bonds with Data? And he's like, I've noticed that you have families on this ship. Like, you know, because he came in in the third season of The Next Generation. He's like, I've been watching your show and I've noticed that you have families on this ship. What happens when some a single parent dies and there's just a kid there? Like, he is, he's thinking about the, the structure of the show that they've set up and asking questions as an outsider 
I'm thinking about what the what the you know. So his first episode is that is a, a single mother goes on an away mission. She dies, and now this kid is like you know doesn't have a parent and is stuck on the ship until they get back to a star base. And the, again, that is a fan who's internalizing the concepts that are being presented and then saying, "I have some interesting things based on that." That probably a writer who invented the concept for other practical purposes, some uh, you know that isn't isn't interrogating as much and so like i believe orky lindelof and kurtzman are fans of star trek but they really do seem like fans of star trek with that was cool they're not like interrogating anything which is why i said to you one thing that would have been interesting because we know that khan is a populist who's trying to bring people on his side and is very you know theoretically compelling in a way and we know that his beef against Kirk doesn't exist in this universe because of the changes and they find him earlier. Like it would have been interesting if Kirk does team up with this villain and they are friends and they do get along because he is, you know, he's very um, intoxicating to be around. He And Kirk doesn't have the level of sophistication and cynicalness that he does when he meets him in the first one to understand, like, you know, he's younger. He's, he, he doesn't have that layer of, like, defensiveness, and here's a guy who's being buddy-buddy while they solve missions together. Like, man, that would have been an interesting concept. This guy doesn't hate Kirk. They could be friends in this universe. What happens if he teams up with Space Hitler to take down a growing rise of fascism in Starfleet? And then, whether it's a setup for a sequel or something at the end, all of a sudden now you're forced with, hey, this, you know, the enemy, my enemy is my friend, which they say explicitly in this movie. What happens... When our mutual enemy is gone and defeated and it's me and this guy that was a genocidal killer 200 years ago. Like, oh my god, what an interest! Like, if you're going to do Khan, that seems like such an obvious way if you were truly a fan of the show and the movies to be like, what What does all this stuff mean in yeah. this new universe that we've created in that kind of Ronald Moore way? And instead they're like, I, instead they're like it was cool when he said – you know the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one let's have him just say that as a catchphrase at the beginning like this guy's saying it all the time right and so he didn't just say it in a specific moment in a movie that's like spock's thing he's live long and prosper we just he's constantly saying it because that was cool as shit i like when i was a kid i saw that i'm like that's a cool line it just it it is embarrassing that these people are professional screenwriters with how uninteresting they are uninterested they seem in like taking any sort of having any sort of perspective on the thing that they claim to love yeah i mean it's it is it is really true i mean plot holes aside like there's a moment that i noticed this time like that scotty somehow gets to jupiter on a cruiser did you notice that well just that like he quits immediately i don't like these torpedoes they have torpedoes you just don't like the new torpedoes? Yeah, so I don't quit? like these specific torpedoes because I can't look at them until we get in the air. <laughs> yeah. Until also, I get this pen. Also, he's not like, he, he, why isn't he like, can we get rid of this pencil neck so we can get in the air? And then like they get in the air and then he's like, yeah, look at them. Um, yeah, I, you I know what engineers these- like Scotty hate? New technology. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously there's a million little, there's a million little gaps there. But what you're getting at is actually what I, I really want to talk about, which is like, the movie could have taken these disparate elements. It could have taken, yeah. it could have had a, a, a slightly longer cold open where they fail to follow the prime directive and 
Kirk gets kind of sucked into maybe militarism or he, yeah. he you know, at the end of the movie, he's going to learn a lesson about why these rules exist and why he needs to have respect for other cultures. But, you know, the Prime Directive is like a specifically an anti-fascist thing because the, the core uh, tenet of fascism is we have a culture and everybody outside yeah. of this culture is, a, is an enemy, is an other. And we need to I need to constantly point you in the direction. And you need to follow without question against that other. Yeah. And so, uh, like, the the idea that, like, Kirk doesn't really give a shit about the Prime Directive, and then he meets a space fascist, it, any other screenwriter would put two and two. Um, like, he'd be like, be like, oh, it's kind of interesting that Kirk could maybe learn a lesson throughout this movie. And he learns no lesson except for towards the end he's like, Maybe I shouldn't be the captain. I suck at this. I'm going to go kill myself. <laughs> what? Like, what is his arc other than, I'm not so good at being captain. I'm going to go Oof. die. Even though I kept thinking I was a good captain, based on the circumstances that have been created here as I look around, yeah. I suck. Not good I'm gonna captain. Go, I'm going to go, not a good captain. Well, the thing is, when he goes there, he doesn't even know he's going to kill himself. But he's like, he's like, I'm going to go solve the shit. If I find an opportunity to die, I'm going to yeah. take it. I'm not, gonna, <laughs> I'm not a good, I'm not in a good mental health headspace oh, right now. I guess I can turn, I guess I can turn this self-harm into a martyrdom. Sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, it okay. is. It, it, it so is like funny. the it is one of those things where like they have so there's no there's no character growth whatsoever. All they have is that at one point Khan gets mad that Kirk stunned him. Which by the way, I hate to be this this guy. I hate to be this guy, but you're allowed mm-hmm. to do it when the movie is so sloppy. The entire movie could have been solved basically. Not the entire movie. The entire second half of the movie could have been solved. If Scotty had continued to point his gun at a sleeping man. <laughs> well, yeah. He just, After he somebody said, somebody said, just keep pointing your gun at the sleepy guy. Uh, he, he, Scotty's like, Scotty's like, absolutely. That's my one job. Like, he doesn't get distracted or whatever. He's like, <laughs> he's just like, yeah, I want to pay attention to this conversation. Oh, shit. He, oh, he's immediately up and beating the shit out of me. I've made a terror. I know. But it, that's that's the whole thing. Like, like, look, movies are what they are. They have plot holes. It's why we all hate cinema sense. When this, well, again, the, the issue here is not that this movie has plot holes or things that don't make sense. Every movie has a point A to point B. This movie is just like, we don't care enough about you to even attempt to square any circles this movie like i think you could sum up how infuriating this movie is in a nutshell with like start like you're i i talked about how where i think it would be interesting to do like if you're gonna do con here's the way to do it because you mm-hmm. wipe the site clean it looks different you don't have to do con no one's despite what orky and kurtzman thought no one was forcing them to do con as a matter of fact, people were really excited about at least we get a new adventure now with this with this group that's going to be fun like the like this show. So you didn't have to do it. You could have done something fun. If you're going to do it, here's some things that you really really shouldn't do. But like they, the thing about Wrath of Khan is probably I would say maybe the best ending of any of these movies, and I think like one of the most iconic like out of thousands of hours of Star Trek. The, the fight at the end with Kirk 
and Khan, where they're on separate ships, they're hearkening back to like submarine days. All of their both their ships are beat to hell, and they're trying to like use view screens in murky waters, basically, to catch a glimpse to fire the one shot. Like that entire twenty minute sequence of them like being like submarine captains and trying to use Khan's you know, 1990s thinking against it's, it's like, it's probably like the best 20 minutes of all of Star Trek. Like, it's so goddamn good. It's so iconic. And it tells like, you about the characters. It tells you about the Everything works so well. And the way, and it like, it also speaks to Star Trek. They're in space, they're in a nebula, it's science fiction shit, but it's, it's using all of those tropes for a very dramatic thing. And like, to sum up this movie in that nutshell, the ending of this movie is Spock chasing Khan through a fucking city street. Through, like, <laughs> through basically what could just be modern-day Wall Street. It's like, it's like, hey, you know what I saw? Born. Those Born movies are good. Could we do, like, one of those? Like, two fast guys running real fast through Wall Street, and then they jump on, like, a car and start punching each other? Like, that's your... That is your finale that is hearkening back to Wrath of Khan, like, it's Star Trek. Like, it, it's it's just, it's, the reason why it's like, again, it's so infuriating, it's just like, it gets everything wrong. Who is that exciting for? Who's like, finally, we see people run through fucking Wall Street, ready to punch each other. Love my Star Treks. Like, it's... And at the end of the movie, it's, it's so at the end of the movie... It, at, at the end of a good Star Trek TNG episode, right? 45 minutes, right? Not even, like, a full $200 million or whatever movie. They would find an elegant way to be like, and then we did this to avoid war with the Klingons. Yeah. Instead, this oh, yeah. movie spends so long talking about avoiding war with the Klingons. For some reason, Kirk... So Kirk makes a choice that has no real character basis other than they want to have uh, they don't want to just follow the orders that he was told to follow right and uh they have well, he doesn't a, like rules peter the mo- and the they want to have a big intro to khan that's really if it. you know anything about kirk it's that he doesn't like rules he was told to do something and so he's going to do the opposite so his ethos in this movie <laughs> is that of the joker yeah reverse um. psychology would be incredibly effective on <laughs> Kirk, I'm going to load up your ship with torpedoes. Definitely don't dump them out in space. Um, hold up. Uh, don't, you know what? Actually, you know, dump them out whenever you want. Um, I don't really care. And then, Hey, you, you know the prime directive? I call it the optional prime directive. Like, <laughs> no, fuck you. It's a rule. I'll follow it even if I kill everyone I know. <laughs> so they go, to, they go to the Klingon world at some point, Kronos. And they show off the new Klingons, and, like, I guess it's fine. Yeah. For the amount of money they spent, I really wanted it to be cooler looking or, like, more gnarly. Like, they, well, they... I want them well, to at least look, like, I want them to look scary. Like, do you remember the guys from Ghosts of Mars? I want them to look, like, like you know, I want they, them to look what, real... I want them to look real fucked up or something. You would like Star Trek Discovery, where they, they lean in on, like, let's really fuck them up. Like, like, they should have, like, fucked up piercings through their eyes and shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they do a good job. This is, like, what if they look like uh, Christopher... Fuck, who's the... Christopher Fuck? Is no, that Christopher no. Robin's uh, 
<laughs> no, oh, uh, what if they all look like Christopher Plummer in Star Trek Six? Like, yes, yes, mild ridges and some piercings. Yes, yes. Um, it's fine. Whatever. It's not bad. It's not good. Whatever. And then there's all this discussion about avoiding war, and then he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, which is fire those torpedoes. They still landed on a planet, killed like a zillion Klingons, and then got out of there. And then they're like, the home world. Where's all their fucking ships? Like this is the home world of its quote that that's the home world. Like if this happened, they're like they're like he's the only guy in the sector. That's like being like he's the only guy in a part of Australia. Like maybe, <laughs> but like if you put a spaceship over Australia, we're gonna notice. Yes, and it's, not- it's exactly it. And they noticed enough to send out troops. Like. Whatever the point. The point is this: they did. It's all the, like they, that, though, Peter. Like they invaded it's, the Klingon homeworld so and they stupid. killed like fifty Klingons and they blew yeah. up like three Klingon dropships and then they just leave, which is, in my mind, essentially the same thing as nuking the planet. Right? Like you did basically the same thing as what they were going to do in any logical movie they did start a war with the klingons and they need to find a way to stop it instead the movie's like no we still have to get to khan which doesn't really happen for like another half hour and also like like, at the end of the movie who's a tng story if there's a tng story at the end they would find a way to be like and we avoided we we i cashed in this ship to avoid a war with the klingons and then, I don't know, you get a Worf character in the movie or some shit, right? Like, you get, well, you get but, an interesting Klingon meetup at some point, and the movie is expanding its internal universe. Yeah, it's 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 so frustrating because Peter Weller, at the beginning of the movie, is doing something that I think is interesting. Like, or the first half, he's talking about, like, essentially they need to militarize for unknown threats that could come now from the future with giant weapons that could destroy our fleet and that's why we need to militarize and then by the end of the movie he's like we're gonna have a war with the klingons that's why we're doing all this it's like which like which i'm not saying that the villain of of the the fascist villain who's trying to do a military takeover needs to be consistent but like the whole point is that he thinks he's a good guy doing the right thing and he's just like throwing out random reasons and even that whole thing about why they need to use the shuttlecraft it is like well hey in wrath of khan Kirk's ship was all fucked up for the whole thing. That was the thing. It's like he didn't have all of his things because he got blown up by the Reliant early and now his ship's fucked up. And they're like, so we need a ship fucked up for this. What if, like, I don't know, the ship trips on the way and then just doesn't work for the rest of the movie? I think that would be... I think we should just be like, oh, Scotty's fired and Chekhov doesn't quite know what he's doing and all of a sudden the ship breaks. Yeah, then then it'll be fucked up later on. So it'll be just like Wrath of Khan. <laughs> it's so like they they it's so stupid. I also was laughing pretty hard because like I forgot like I I know that the ships eventually both crash to Earth. Like obviously that's a that's kind of a stupid thing. That that sounds like the worst type of like Star Trek fans. Like we never saw them fight at Earth. They're always we're off in planets. So let's yeah. do it right on Earth. But um, it's the sort of thing that was cool in like Mass Effect Three. They finally had like an Earth city, like, and it was it was exciting to see it there. But in Star Trek, you're like, but the so this means the entire finale is going to look like a Transformers movie yeah. or a Sky. What's that? What's that? Sky Sky. What's the alien movies? Skyfall. Is Not that what Skyfall. What are they called? Whatever. There's Skyline. Like, Skyline or Battle of LA or whatever. All those like so, big yeah, yeah. all those big sci-fi movies were like 
pick a major American city. We're going to blow it up. We're blowing up Chicago this week. Like, by doing this in this context, you're like, you're going to see some shit that you have seen a million times before in that exact same theater seat in the past year. (laughs) Yeah. I, the thing is, I had forgot, like, I knew that they crashed on Earth, but I forgot that their whole space standoff after, again, just stupid shit. The 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 ship has like this is this is becoming nerd nitpicky, but it's just such a big plot point and it's so stupid. It feels like I can't like Peter Weller's ship or Admiral Marcus's ship has like super warp. So when they go to warp to escape them, they're like, well, they can't get us their warp. Obviously, they can't fire weapons and stuff like that because we're moving so fast. Like you can't. How can you fire a laser when you're going faster than the speed is, of light? Is the like, laser going faster than the speed of light? In yeah, which like case, you, would the laser be invisible? Yeah. But th- then then Carol Marcus is like, you don't understand. That ship's got super warp. He doesn't call it super warp, but so it can go faster and knock him out and shoot. It, like, it's so stupid. It makes no sense. But I forgot that the whole confrontation with Peter Weller, um ship and like them being him being like, ah, oh, you got me. You talk to him. I'm a villain. And like, I'm going to kill your whole crew. You had no shot. Don't worry. Nice speech. I'm going to kill everyone. And then they start firing on each other. All that shit happens right in Earth's orbit. This is like the head of Starfleet. There's other ships and space stations everywhere. <laughs> These two two ships are sitting there. Fuck. No one notices. No one says anything. No one. Of the, no one's like, hey, uh, our two our flagship and a giant secret flagship that looks exactly like it, but is five times the size. Uh, they're shooting the shit out of each other for quite a long. Like their power goes out. They have all these confrontations. No one comes. Yeah. Like they're not on a backwards world. They didn't stop in the middle of space. Yeah. They're so close to Earth that when their power goes out, they get sucked in by the gravity and crash. And there's less things up there than there is in this year, uh, the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> like they don't even the International Space Station would have been like, holy shit, there's some giant ships shooting at each other. Let's call NASA. They don't do any like and again, like I it, it's again the movie is. And the Earth has no for, defense systems. Like they've no been defense super systems, militarized. No monitoring system. They've been super militarized, except for on the Yeah, hopefully planet. no Klingon ships uh go to war by flying directly to the home world, because bad news. No one's there and they have no they won't notice at all. Like even also, that, the st- also literally what happened in the last movie was a giant drill drilled into San Francisco, and then they were like, you know what we don't need? Anything that can blow up a big drill. I mean, yeah, the it's I know it sounds stupid to get worked up about this, but it is like the movie just is like if you care about anything, we don't, and we're angry at you for caring about it. And like I, you, and that's why, I like, just like doing the nitpicky cinema sense thing. It doesn't feel nitpicky is, because is it the, is just like you don't care about that, any of this. Yeah, this is the, the, the movie the, is this happens and then this happens, and yeah. if you're expecting any consistency, any theme, any connection, any of your real world, like we don't want you to know anything about Star Trek except we want you to gasp when we say the name Khan, and we want anything about Star Trek to beyond that to leave. Like it's 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 like I want you you want your cake and eat it too, and we also want to fuck you with the cake, and we want you to enjoy it. Like it's yeah. it, it's 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 such a piece of shit. 
I, I also, and, I do find it funny that all Spock wants to do in this, or all Khan wants to do in this movie is do two 9-11s. That's all he, that's, that's all he wants in the whole movie is to do two 9-11s. He just 9/11s. wants his bros back. <laughs> he just wants his bros back. Yeah, um, for, but he doesn't have, like, a plan to, like, get them to a home world or whatever. He's just like, he's just like, you know what? Give um, me my tor- Torpedo Man, please. I, I'm Mr. Torpedo Man. I also I love that. the idea. I love the idea that they're like, we built these special torna- these special torpedoes. And then they're like, okay, sure, what's special about them? And like, they're really good torpedoes. And you're like, okay, what what's so special about them? Secretly, <laughs> we spent the entire internal payload space on keeping the body alive. And you're like, it sounds like a shitty torpedo. Like you could make it smaller. Um, did no one look inside there? Like, does yeah. Peter Weller know? That the bodies are in there? Uh, yeah, Peter Weller does. What is he doing with them? Also, just out of curiosity, yeah. Okay, so what I don't know what Peter Weller's motivation is with these bodies either. I think it's like, because you wonder then, okay, why do they explode? And I guess that's like, hey, we put them in torpedoes, we can blow them up. It's like, okay, well, it's all, there's the size of coffins to begin with. So like, when they shot Spock's body at the end of Wrath of uh, Khan to the planet, they, it is a photon torpedo that they take everything out of to fit the body. So how are, how do you still have the blowy up part and the body and the life support system in your torpedo? It doesn't quite Also, if up. this guy's so evil, why doesn't Booby he traps, just kill yeah. all these things? Hey. He either should want them alive or want them dead. I don't know which one he wants in this movie, to be totally honest. Um, yeah. Peter Weller's character, I would never say, I would never ever say out loud that Peter Weller gave a bad performance. I would never say that. So I'm going to stop talking now. I think he's fine. I think it's, um, I mean, I like seeing Peter Weller. I I think we've kind of talked about I like about to see so him. We're not going to go, yeah, I'm not, we're not going to go through a plot. This is, this is what we have to say about this movie. I call it's, it a plop because it's shit. It's, I mean, I think we've talked about everything we're talking about. So like. You know, I, I will say, like, as final thoughts, the, the things that I was left with upon seeing it, it, it is a movie that is, like, doesn't care. We said that these movies don't matter, fundamentally, and that even Star Trek ultimately decided that these movies don't matter because they abandoned the Kelvin timeline. They still talk about making a Star Trek 4 based on Star Trek Beyond and not having Orky, Kurtzman, and J.J. Abrams involved. I'm supportive of that. I like the cast. I think they still have fun things here. Go ahead. Go make another one. Like... Because ultimately it doesn't matter. And so what was what was funny about watching this for the first time in 10 years is one rightfully starting out going, OK, well, like this is kind of stupid, but it's exciting and it's fun. And then getting to that same point that I was 10 years ago where the con reveal happens, the movie just gets focused on mystery box nonsense or trying to do cool shit that doesn't matter in any capacity and isn't consistent with anything that's happening in the movie or anything that's been established previously and it just kind of becomes embarrassing to the point that i literally have secondhand embarrassment when kirk dies and spock yells "Con!" because it's it is it is like it's like if you went and saw a high school performance of wrath of Khan, like that they were doing and it's like this is i'm embarrassed that they're going this hard because it's 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 so bad they, they um, made him do- but yeah they, they didn't need to do this but here's why like there is a positive thing I will say about it. It is somewhat well made for the first half. The the scenes were like, like I said, the opening scene gets annoying, but it's still like like seeing the Enterprise 
emerge from the water in a vacuum if you do turn off any brain processes and 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 enjoy it in the way they want you to enjoy it which is isn't that cool bro it is cool bro like that part's cool you know what else is cool when he blows up the library and then kirk realizes in a moment like oh shit why would he blow up a library well then everyone in starfleet command would 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 all assemble right here (laughs) and like that moment of realizing that like what's happening like it's it's exciting and there's cool stuff and like Again, for the first hour, it's moving fast enough with some characters you like that even if you're bogged down a little bit like they're taking away his captaincy 15 minutes into this movie when they grinded gears so goddamn hard to make him the captain in the first movie, only take it away 15 minutes in, only to then give it back to him. 20 minutes in, he has five minutes where he's not. Well, they kill enough people that eventually he become captain. (laughs) Yeah. So like. Once Khan is fully introduced, it's just like it, – it, it it's a self-made lodestone around its neck. But here's what I would also say as a positive. It is still a hundred times better than The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I don't so know. Uh, here, let me tell you why. This movie, even within this trilogy, doesn't matter. At the end of the movie – Everyone's back to where they were. He's captain of the Enterprise. He's going on the five-year mission. You could watch all this and go, all of this is stupid, and I didn't like it, but it fundamentally doesn't mean anything, even within the context of this movie. Captain Pike is dead. Okay, he was in the first movie for 10 minutes, and he's not really a big Star Trek thing. Like, everything gets reset back to the status quo, and even if this is where Star Trek went from here on out and they never made Discovery or Picard, this movie really ultimately doesn't matter no um rise of skywalker not only is miss it, it like i said if the it's i'm con moment then then becomes the lodestone that sinks the movie halfway through you at least get somewhat of an exciting if very stupid first hour on par i think with the level of stupidity of the first movie as where rise of skywalker is not just an entry that can be dismissed or not dismissed it is literally the conclusion of either a trilogy or a, a nectology or whatever nine movies are and a full story that doesn't even wait till the halfway point before it's like, yeah, I don't know. Palpatine's back in the dead speak, buddy. I don't know what we're going to do, but that's what's, yeah. <laughs> that's what's going on. So like, I think like, again, I'm not trying to put like the, the import on rise of Skywalker versus the, you can ignore it or not ignore it of this movie, but I think it literally takes all the worst things of Into Darkness, which is a lot, puts them right up front and just does it for the whole movie on a movie that was more important to get right. You're, yeah, uh, <clears throat> that's a compelling argument. However, um, I think what's frustrating about Rise of Skywalker um, beyond everything is like, I think it's still, like, aesthetically is, like, a nice-looking movie. It's still, like, a lot of it is, like, pretty pretty-looking. I think, like, there's certain action sequences that work, but they're, like, all... They're stuffed with shitty dialogue, and they, they have the same level of clunkiness that this has. But, like, generally speaking, Rise of Skywalker, like, worked better for me as an action movie, like, in certain sequences. Um, this, I just... I got nothing out of it, like... Everything is just this f- 
flippy floppy 2000 it really does like feel like a 2009 action movie where they're like if the camera moves fast enough and we throw uh, crazy light effects at the digital camera then it feels like excitement and we don't have to choreograph a fight like i don't think people have realized yet how important chad stahelski and uh keanu reeves are to hollywood and that like they created a scenario where now everybody is measuring their fight sequences against yeah. John Wick and the, you know, John Wick-like movies. And if you're not up to snuff, then people are like, I don't know, the action's not really much to look at. Yeah. Like, in 2009, through basically when, when you know, a few years after, probably around John Wick 2 or 3, um, we... Every action movie looks like shit. Every Hollywood. Uh, action I would also movie. say Ed and Mad Max Fury Road. I think yeah, those those were those were fourteen and fifteen, and everyone's like, oh, this is what we need for uh, close quarters action sequences, and here's what we need for broader action yeah. sequences. Yeah, not everyone does a good job with those, to be clear. But like, yes. those became some form of standard bearers. Yeah, it, it at least is you know, and I'm not saying I want every movie to look like look like uh john wick and i'm not saying i want everybody going out to the namibian desert and um maybe making their co-stars want to kill each other i'm not saying that i'm saying did you read blood of and chrome recently (laughs) (laughs) saying that um this star trek into darkness was from a specific period where like every hollywood action movie had horrific action sequences and like my eyes just like blur over and pretty yeah. much any time this movie is mo- this movie is moving. The only sequence in this that like looks kind of nice is I think the opening looks kind of nice. Yeah, it has I, that I, vivid red jungle planet. Yeah. It's got all the people from Skull Island. It's yeah. yeah. Peter Jackson's re- <laughs> <laughs> Um, I okay. You know, just as final thoughts. I uh, I don't have a space for this, but when Spock comes on the TV, I wrote down Deus Ex Spockina. Um, I just wanted to make sure I got that down. He also kept saying that, you know, in the, like, let's just do a mystery box constantly, that he also kept saying that Leonard Nimoy would not be in this movie. It's like, he's not going to be it. Like, we're just, let's just mystery box on top of it. Let's just lie about everything. Um, And also, like, Leonard Nimoy's uh, appearance here is incredibly embarrassing. Yeah. Hey, instead of looking it up on my computer banks, which contain, uh, P.S., all the information in the world, I'm going to call this guy. Who said he's not going to tell me anything. Hey, did we ever meet this guy? Hey, this guy, did we meet him ever? Yeah, you met him. Not great, bud. Like, it's but so, here's so the thing stupid. that pisses me off so much about that. He, he doesn't Spock, tell me anything besides. Spock should know who Khan is. Regular old Spock should know who Khan is. I, well, he I, also, in these movies, he demonstrates that he knows a lot about Earth history. That's not just something from the, you know, the, the original series timeline. Whatever it's it's we're, yeah. This we're isn't getting, about like knowing like oh into it. I know it's it's this is but you like my 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 examples right like this guy was Adolf Hitler in the nineties yeah people know people would know who Adolf Hitler is and it would be kind of funny if because Kirk wasn't Kirk was like sort of base basically orphaned he didn't get proper education and didn't know who Khan is yeah. and Spock knows more about his history even though he tries to deny his his you know yeah. humanity um that would be kind of a, a funny interesting way to you know 
say a little bit about their character and, and spend two seconds on this this plot reveal. Instead, it's it's absolutely nothing. But I, I don't want to get dragged back into it. The point is, hold on. Can I can po- I get dragged in for one thing that I forgot to say that really annoys me about this movie? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. As long as we're dragged back in and then do final thoughts, so we can get the fuck out of here. This it's also like this movie goes so hard on Kirk and Spock being at each other's throat. I was like. If you think of, like, the pyramid and the triumvirate that holds up your entire fucking show, it's, like, the basics for everything Star Trek, is Kirk gets along with Spock and McCoy, and those two, with their differing approaches to problem-solving and worldviews, fight all the time. And instead, McCoy is sometimes annoyed with Kirk, and Spock and Kirk don't get along at all. Like, you broke apart the dynamic that exists for something that doesn't connect you replaced the it with nothing you replaced it with nothing and, and that's the that's the point is also when you when you lean on this quippy the people throw levy this shit at marvel but this is just how movies are written now and this is how movies are punched up these quippy empty little jabs that characters take at one another when you were when you use that as your means of which characters communicate they're actually communicating nothing what you're doing is you're taking a moment that could have been a character connection, and you could do that with comedy, obviously. There's literally comedies where characters have very complex relationships. Yeah. Um, you could do that, but when you do these dumb little marvel quips to uh, just get out of a scene or finish up a scene, uh, you actually are, yeah, you're replacing character building with nothing. You're, you're taking... You're just basically like, somebody has to say something so the scene can end. The scene needs a button, um... she's not going to like that is not a fucking characterization. Like you better hope you, uh, you better not uh, start shooting, uh, you know, or you're going to be in, Oh, you're going to be in trouble with the the Klingons. Oh, you're going to be in trouble with a her or whatever. Like she's she's not going to like that. Like it's, it's not, it's not anything. It's you replaced it with nothing. I do wish they had added though, like in the same way that like in rise of Skywalker does this too, where they're like, they fly now. I wish at the ending scene someone would have said, they run now? They run now! <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see the porno version. They jizz now? They jizz now. <laughs> they jizz now. <laughs> oh, you think he's got good genes? Wait till you see how much cum his body produces. Most of the eugenics was about producing more cum. Um, uh... Only twinks steal in absolutes. <laughs> but, okay, so we already talked about how... We gotta put a button on this. I'm, I'm done. Um, yeah. We already talked about how there's absolutely no reason for Khan to be against the military commander. Like, yeah. Khan should... Khan and the military commander, if they're working together, theoretically they should be working together. And Khan should be like, oh, I'm gonna hollow out the military and make it more fascist because that suits my interests. Instead, Khan has absolutely no motivation. He is just sort of an evil guy who also is mean. Um, completely pointless. But, like, I also... I want to end, actually, on something that I think... Um, I didn't do any research in this. I can guarantee you somebody who actually has been diagnosed with autism could write some really amazing shit about this, and I'm now going to go look into it. I think that they blew an opportunity, and these two writers are not the people to do it. They blew an opportunity to, like, really make... Ahura and Spock's relationship disagreements meaningful to people at like as, oh, yeah. as 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 couples that don't communicate well or people that like maybe people that are 
at different placements or have been diagnosed at different placements on the spectrum or your partner is on the spectrum, but you're not. And like, I feel like they could have done a Spock Ahura thing with, with this because like, uh, Spock is a hero to a lot of people. Some of them, yeah. uh, some of them are not neurotypical. And I feel like they like really, they, it just shows you that the like, that when I'm watching this movie, I'm just looking for like literally anything that could be something. And I'm like, I really want a Spock and a horror relationship that's compelling. Yeah. And like, I can see myself in somebody's inability to communicate. Instead, it's just like, I'm mad at you for saying that you would die. And he's like, I love you, though. And then it's yeah. over. Like, there's no... They, they really, like, open up something that I think both the actors fully yeah. capable of pulling off, and then they immediately just close it. And beyond all the con stuff and the fucking tribbles and all of that bullshit that pissed me off from the first watch and still pissed me off now that I've seen the show, that's what pisses me off so much, is that they've hollowed out the characters so much, and they got these actors in the room... And then they don't let them do anything with it. I don't see how anybody in a new a new young Trekkie could see themselves in any of these characters. I don't see how somebody who, yeah, who has been diagnosed on the spectrum could identify with this version of Spock the way that, like, a lot of people have said that they identify with them. Like... I don't, I don't see that. And in that way, it's a tragedy. Like, you're not just hollowing out the characters. You're not doing some hypothetical thing to a fan base that, honestly, is doing pretty well. Like, they're eating pretty fucking well these days. Um, You're not just hollow. It's that you're like, you're introducing this stuff to new fans, but you're not actually giving them an entryway in. You're not giving them anybody to root for, anybody to identify with. You're just saying, hey, doesn't this kind of look like a thing you like? And that's a, yeah. that's, that's, that's sad. That's, that's, that's pathetic. Yeah, it, it, you're 100% right. It is, it is, it's, it's kind of just a, yeah, it's a depressing movie in that, like, like I said, you cleared the board and then tried to set up all the pieces the same, but worse on every level. It's... It's just it's just a waste of everyone's time. And yeah, in it was disappointing in 2013. In 2023 it doesn't matter. In 2013 it was like we had to wait 4 years for a sequel, which is a long time in, yeah. you know, Hollywood blockbuster time. And then they gave us this movie that nobody liked. We were wondering if we were going to get another one and we were wondering what Star Trek was going to be. And one of the things that's really nice about there was some recognition that they didn't do a good job. Um <laughs> <laughs> even if i don't do a good job i get my money uh, they get, i get my <laughs> it, quote they get the um, quote yeah you know they kind of took a step back and became producers on the next one and let justin lynn who is a very good director of like fun action movies and simon Pegg, who's a very good writer of nerdy shit uh you know simon Pegg wrote the third one uh and justin lynn directed it and they were like oh hey remember that idea we had of like modernizing star trek but making fun star trek like adventures let's do that for one of these movies and also like for what it's worth the stakes for star trek beyond were lower because at that point we knew there was a new series coming i think the series also premiered in 2016 it was announced that it wasn't going to be part of the kelvin timeline and it was kind of like you know no i mean i didn't know where it was going to go from 2016 to like now there's four shows and like a fifth show coming and you know they're you know all the other things but 
it's like, oh, we could just do a fun movie. And it's a little bit disappointing that the next movie doesn't do as well as at the box office. And so there's always been a should we do a fourth? Can we get everyone together to do a fourth? But like that is a hundred percent. It's um, you know, it's it's like anything else. People got excited about Star Trek. They saw it. They saw Into Darkness. Into Darkness did pretty well at the box office. But everyone walked away dissatisfied. And so like the consequence of that is that whether your third one's the best of the three, everyone felt like they got burned the second time around, and it's much harder to get people excited about the third one. But. With that said, that's what we're going to cover next week, Star Trek Beyond. In fairness, I've only seen it once when it came out, Peter. I liked it quite a bit. I feel like as I've seen people in our groups watch it for the first time, they're pretty consistently have a good time with it. Um, oh, I could use I, I could use just literally I, like a ginger slice. Like I could use like just something to like get this taste out of my mouth, man. Yeah, I, I do think this like the very low stakes that these movies had to deliver on, which is like we've assembled a very fun cast. That does a really good job of all these iconic characters. Let's give them a fucking fun ass space adventure for them to go on with humor and one that represents the characters well that's really all the benchmark they need to hit and i will tell you star trek beyond hits that so and honestly uh, yeah, we talked i'm excited about this, to talk about next week we talked about this before but like some of my favorite star trek movies from the, with the original cast are just like hey that was a good time yeah hey. i mean what what else is the voyage home but just like that was a really good time yeah so. Even three is kind of a rehash of what they've already done, but it, like yeah. I don't know, you get like Christopher Lloyd fighting space snakes and shit. Yeah, like, I, yeah. that's pretty cool. He's, he's crushing space slugs with his bare hand. Um, I will say though, in my rankings, I mean, again, we're of the we we have agreed that Star Trek Five is actually good, though. Yeah. Um, I do think this is better than Nemesis, and then that's about it. <laughs> You think this movie is better than Nemesis? I think Into Darkness is better than Nemesis. I, Nemesis is so... Like, th- Nemesis feels like it has no potential in this, whatsoever. In the, this elicited reactions from me. <laughs> if Nemesis I, if numbs me. Nemesis feels like Nemesis feels like you got those drugs right before they're going to take your um, your teeth out. And then like yeah. you're like, what happened? And you're like, mm-hmm. something. If, if I had to pick Fun one man. to watch right now, I would pick Into Darkness over Nemesis. So I guess that's <laughs> my barometer. Um, all right, but we'll actually do a good one next week, and then we may have a surprise to close out our five-year mission. Will there be more missions? Depends, I guess, if Peter likes Beyond <laughs> wants to do any more of this. But we'll talk next week on the only Star Trek cast that has ever existed, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs>